Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, here with Jonathan Wilson and George Ellick to preview this week's Premier League action, as we always do on this podcast. How are we both, chaps? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, was, uh, I was over in Dublin earlier in the week doing a couple of live shows, so I'm slightly uh, sleep-deprived, but, but apart from that... Uh, okay. Yeah, you have my, you have my sympathies as I'm ex- exactly the same, and I'm I went to Dublin two weeks ago, and I'm probably still recovering fr- from that. What that a place! Jaunt as as well. George, are you well? Yeah, mate, I'm great. Feel great. I've had some good sleep. You know, can't complain. Let's look then at Tottenham against Liverpool. Probably the biggest game of, of this week, I, I would say. And Jonathan, Tottenham's defence in general over the years, they've had a, a really poor record a, against Liverpool. We heavily praised Romero last week and then Spurs conceded two goals and he was kind of involved in, in those goals against Arsenal. Would you be concerned if you're a Tottenham fan up, up against this Liverpool attack that does feel like it's thriving a little bit at the moment? I mean, I think both teams have got defensive issues. I, I think where Postecoglou's been really good has been, I mean, certainly the Bournemouth game away, the Manchester United game at home, when Tottenham came under defensive pressure, he, he made changes that, 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 that blocked it up. Um, so I, I, I suspect it's an issue of just getting it settled down. Um, but I mean, they've only kept two clean sheets so far this season, but that is one more than Liverpool. Um, so yeah, I, I, it's a concern, but I, I think that's probably the only thing you'd be worried about at Tottenham at the minute. I, you know, I think the rest of the team is, is working far better than you'd expect. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, whether it's a, I mean, Romero is one of those players who, in certain situations, he's the perfect defender. He's so aggressive, he's so front foot. But there are times when when that leads him into into rashness. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, the penalty. It's uh, yeah, not much you can do about that. No. Um, the own goal. I'm not sure his positioning is great. I think maybe he should be a bit a bit closer to charging the shot down. I think maybe his body shape is 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 you know it's the wrong way. If he's body pointing the other way, the ball would have deflected out. So it's slightly unfortunate, but but yeah, I, th- I think Romero. There's always a, a risk there, but you accept that because of the the aggression he he, he gives you. An aggressive defence against this Liverpool attack, George, probably not the not the way forward. I, I don't know. I mean, they've obviously got so much individual quality there, um, but <clears throat> I think when you look at the way that that Spurs dealt with Arsenal's threats um, last weekend, I, I think they, in terms of one v one defending, there were areas you know where I thought Tottenham came out on top for the most part in their duels I don't even though Liverpool have made you know a very good start to the season in terms of their results I don't think we've necessarily seen apart from Mo Salah who's got three goals and four assists like and, and Schrobberschlei has obviously had a brilliant start uh, in, in midfield I'm not convinced that we've seen them hit top gear yet which is going to be a good thing for Liverpool um you know Salah's started the season well but beyond that we're still seeing a lot of rotation elsewhere I mean Darwin is, is clearly the one who you know, he looks kind of well set now to have that second season, as we were told he would, he would do, given what happened uh, previously in his career. Um, he reminds me so much of of kind of prime or just before prime Cavani in terms of just being that physical specimen up front who has an incredible knack of missing easy opportunities and yet scoring. He a lot. But his, the goals he scores, like there's, he's he's an absolute quandary of a footballer in terms of, just not really making any sense. Um, you look at the three Premier League goals he scored this season, all of them 
unbelievable finishes. And, and actually, despite the sitters that he's missed, he scored three goals from an expected 2.6. So he's he's overperforming his XG despite missing sitters because the goals he's scoring are so good. I, I, you know, I, I think he's clearly a player who, if Jurgen Klopp is able to basically... It felt like last season, effectively, because they were struggling when Darwin was playing and not playing well, it was a massive detriment to Liverpool to the extent that, he, that Klopp just couldn't really trust him. Whereas now, given they look like a more cohesive unit, you kind of think Klopp is able to take more of a risk and play Darwin more, knowing that you know if Darwin does miss chances, they aren't going to be the only chances they create and they're going to have more opportunities to win games. Um, because I do think in, in Nunez, you've got a player there who, if you're able to kind of, if you're happy to hurt for a period of time, if you're happy to accept he's going to he's going to miss chances, like as was the case with Cavani, who scored an unbelievable amount of goals over the course of his career, missing plenty of decent opportunities because he's so good, because his movement is so good, because he just has that knack of getting into goal scoring positions, basically all around the box and outside too. In time, as he gets acclimatized to playing with his with the players around him, as his confidence grows, he could score a ridiculous amount of goals. Like if there, if, there, if there is a player in the in the Premier League who could feasibly challenge Erling Haaland in a poor season for Haaland, it's got to be Nunez given his, his skill set. Well, the who scored stats buffs have been investigating Jonathan and Nunez has actually registered six assists as well in his time for Liverpool and all of those assists have been for Mohamed Salah. Over the same period, Salah has assisted two Nunez goals. So that's eight combined and that's the most for Liverpool since the start of last season. Is that a combination you've noticed when watching Liverpool? Can't say it's something I've picked up on, actually, which probably doesn't say much for my watching ability of football. I mean, eight goals isn't that many, uh, I guess, but um, I mean, it makes sense he, that, that he he lays the ball off. Salah's going to be, the, 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 or, or uh, possibly Luis Diaz on the other side are going to be the players running onto it. But I, I sort of think it's not really about necessarily one or the other. That, that um, you know, I, I looked at the looked at the stats and um, last season, I mean, this season the stats are almost identical. So let's leave this season out of it. Obviously, small sample size. Last season, when Nunez and Salah played together, Liverpool picked up 1.75 points per game. When they didn't play together, it was 1.71. So it made very little difference. Um, when Salah and Jota play together last season, they picked up 1.93. And when they didn't, it was 1.66. So that would suggest that Jota is, is the better partner. Um, you know, in, in in a wider combination, but I, I I think sort of that's a slightly simplistic way of looking at it anyway. That what Nunez gives you is a sort of target man style player. I think that type of player is becoming increasingly important uh, when opponents press you. That you know, how do you get around the press? Well, an easy way to do it is just play over the top. And clearly, if that's what you're doing, Nunez is is more suited than than Jota. But there will be games when having that player who drops deep. You know, c- comes into into midfield, and you want players going beyond him, is is what you need and what you want. So, I I, I would suspect it'll. I mean, unless one of them suddenly hits a really sort of golden run of form, I would suspect it'll continue to be horses for courses. Uh, and I think one of the strengths Liverpool have is that they they do have such a range of options up front. Um, I, and you, I mean, you, you can still you can play Nunez on the left if you want to. If you want to play. Jota as well and have Nunez coming in at the back post. That's also where you can do it. Uh, or you can have Luis Diaz and his, his dribbling ability. So there's, there's loads of options there. And I think it is that flexibility, that depth, 
which makes Liverpool's forward line look so so exciting and so potent at the moment. Yeah, now options in midfield as well, George, something that they didn't really have across the entirety of, of last season. Should Klopp be bringing Endo in, in for this one? If he did, it would probably be at the expense of Curtis Jones because McAllister and Shabbat... Oh, God, I knew I was going to get that wrong this one. Shabbat's nah. liar, feeling not their, their mainstays in, in that Liverpool mid- midfield now. But Curtis Jones has been a, a really important player for, for Liverpool, probably since, since around April, and actually their unbeaten run. It coincided with coincided with Jones coming in the team. So, if Endo's ever going to get a game, maybe it won't be at Jones's expense. Probably not. And I think if you bring Endo in, you basically have to shift the way that that midfield's going to work. Where, for the most part this season uh, against West, West Ham in their last game, um, it's basically, I mean, it, it's fairly fluid. It's not as rigid a four-three-three as we're used to seeing. But you know, McAllister is is the centre centre of the three with with Jones kind of off the left, but but given license to come inside. If you bring Endo in then you're going to have to change the dynamic of that entirely where Endo would have to sit and basically play the Fabinho role with, with McAllister being shifted outside. And I think McAllister was superb against West Ham. Um, you know, he's one of those players who, for the most part, will keep it sim- simple and then you'll see the assist where, you know, he takes a chance at, at the optimum time. Isn't one of those players who is consistently trying to spring, um, you know, play balls over the top of the, of the defence. When he does, he's got the quality to execute it uh, while still having the kind of positional sense in order to play that that linchpin role. Um, with Endo, he's very much a holding midfielder. He's someone who will not provide the creativity from deep, but will certainly, you know, win the ball back and, and, and retain possession. But in Curtis Jones, you know, I, I still, <clears throat> I think he's one of those players where because of the way that football is covered now on social media, Liverpool were not having a particularly good time of things. Curtis Jones was a young English, English player being brought into the side at that time and suddenly everyone decided that he was some kind of a joke figure for a time and I don't understand it. I don't think anyone... I think Curtis Jones is one of the most exciting young English players currently. I think he proved that in the summer in the under-21s um, where he was probably England's best player in, on their way to victory. He played it right back in the uh, Carabao Cup game against Leicester last night. He's incredibly versatile. His range of... You know, his skill set both in possession and out of possession is massive. Like, he's a, an aggressive presser. He's got such quality on the board in tight spaces. He's a really tidy passer. He's a brilliant player. Like, he's someone who we should be getting incredibly excited about. And, and he's been massive for Liverpool this season. So... I'd be pretty surprised. I mean, if Jurgen Klopp does change it and bring Endo in and, and kind of revert back to the the kind of shape or that that more rigid four three three with with McAllister and and Shobislav either side, I think that would be a massive sign of respect from Klopp to Ange Postecoglou and what he's doing with Spurs because it would be an acceptance there that they need to stop Tottenham's quality in possession. But um, I think it would be harsh on Jones. But maybe the fact that he started on on Tuesday, on Wednesday night, and started out of position as well might suggest that, that he is going to be taken out. Well, if you look at the graphic, he's actually in, integral to Liverpool. Their average goal difference goes up, and their average points one goes up massively as well. And like like I said before, their unbeaten run has coincided with Curtis Jones com- coming into that midfield. So it will be interesting to see what Klopp does in this game away away at Tottenham. Probably the toughest game they've had since since Newcastle away, if, if memory serves me correctly, which they outstandingly won with, with 10 men that day. Let's talk a little bit about Tottenham then, Jonathan. Let's talk about uh, James Madison. Probably the form player in the in the Premier League right now, James Madison. Certainly the who scored ratings would point in, in, in that direction. He literally hasn't taken any time to settle into that Tottenham Hotspur why and Foster Coglu's why as well. He's already a really key player for them. Probably their most important player now, Harry Kane's gone. Yeah, he's had an amazing start to the season. And I think it's a real, you know, if if, if uh, McAllister does play at the back of Liverpool infield, it's a real test of his defensive quality. I mean, if he can handle Madison at the minute, he, he can pretty much handle anything. Yeah, I, I, as to who will play, 
I, I think that point about why would you play Curtis Jones at right back against Leicester if you plan to use him at the weekend? It seems a very strange thing. Um, but equally, bringing in Endo when he's he's only had one league start, I think he's only played 93 minutes of league football, that would also seem a risk. So I'm a little bit uh, unclear as to what the thinking is there. Trent, Trent Madison, Jones at right back? Well... <laughs> well, yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah, they're not working on that for the future patterns of play. But I mean, Madison's been been exceptional. And it, what I think I hadn't quite appreciated was how tactically intelligent he is. So I think that game at Bournemouth, when he played, you know, he came so deep to help Tottenham beat the Bournemouth press. Um, I thought he was exceptional in that game. But he's just so lively, and, and you know, he, I think as well, you see. Um, his self-confidence that you know, he, he made that mistake, uh, got caught in possession by the Arsenal press last Sunday. And, and then a couple of minutes later, he's, he's um, uh, yes, uh, creating the, the equaliser, that, that turn on the left wing. Um, he doesn't seem phased by anything. He seems very comfortable at that level. Uh, the, the, you know, he's, he's gone from being the, you know, the, the, the big fish at Leicester to, to being you know, one of many fish at Tottenham. Um, and that can be difficult for players. I think you saw Grealish struggle slightly with that when he went to City. Um, but he, you know, he, he's he's adapted exceptionally well. And, and yeah, that that midfield, the balance of that midfield um, with uh, Basuma and Saar, I think looks looks really nice. I think there still needs to be a slight tweak there because I think they do at times leave the defence slightly exposed, and that's one of the the few issues Tottenham have had this season. But but yeah, I, I think he he is the obvious creative spark there thing I like about Madison George is you can watch the game of football and you obviously notice him because he's involved in everything so he, he passes the eye test but also it's his productivity record goals and assists even at Leicester last season in the poor team he's always involved he's always scoring goals he's always getting assists very rarely there's a game where he doesn't score or assist so he, he kind of passes both tests if that makes sense and I think crucially and this is important to a lot of creative players, like his head never drops. Um, you know, if you, even in the Arsenal game, I can't remember who it was who nicked the ball off him, but when he's caught in possession and nearly gave away the goal, straight away he was back on the ball and demanding it and coming deep and looking to play those passes. Like there, there aren't, there are so many players with, well, there aren't so many players, but there are a lot of players with um, those creative skill sets who are so streaky in terms of their form because, you know, when they are creating, they're, they're playing well. Even last season, it seemed to kind of almost rankle with, with Leicester fans how during a campaign where Leicester was so poor, Madison kind of remained pretty pretty chipper about things and didn't really it didn't really embody a player whose um, Premier League status was was in, was in jeopardy and that was probably because he knew it wasn't going to be in time. Like he's he's a phenomenal talent and and I think his his ability as we're seeing at Tottenham now to both drop deep and recycle the ball and be that player who can come in and just help the team move up the pitch in possession whilst also being a player who can carry it who can be their most creative force in the final third, a huge goal threat. Um, you know, he's one of those players who's, who's now just excelling, really playing in a system where he is the main man, playing under a manager who's obviously got, got experience and a track record of nurturing the kind of talent that Madison is and just kind of breathing a bit of freedom into them. Um, so, yeah, he looks to be relishing it now. He looked to, um, I think he was pretty delighted to have... Uh, Done his mate Bukayo after after Saka um, copied his celebration twice, and then and then obviously he did him on the left hand side for the equaliser. Um, but yeah, he's an absolute joy to watch, and you know, I'm, I'm sure if, if if Tottenham are going to maintain this level of form under Postecoglou, then Madison is going to be the key player. He's a real leader as well. I think he's already part of, of Tottenham's leadership group. He's and it says a lot that, that he took on. the fact that he took Kane's. I mean, I I generally think you know the the narrative around 
squad numbers and kits and the rest of it is, is fairly tiresome. But I think when Harry Kane is probably one of the most iconic one club players until he let, well, obviously had loans before, but, you know, in terms of embodying an era at a club and he walks out the door and Madison's immediately taking his squad number. Like, you know, that to me suggests that he's a player who wants to be the main man, who wants to be part of the leadership group, who wants to be the poster boy for this new post-Kane era at Spurs. And he, and he started the, uh, that campaign incredibly well. How dare you lie into squad number enthusiasts? We all know that when the squad numbers are announced at the start of the season, that's one of the, the peak days of the summer before the it's football just starts. always absolute evidence of boredom, that, isn't it? And everyone goes wild over squad numbers in, in July. I have always been obsessed with squad numbers. Yeah, me too. I will never wear four. I, know, oh, I, I thought I you were being sarcastic. I wasn't expecting a serious point to be made. After uh, back of it. I, I thought he was going to be an ally, I have to say. But personally, yeah. I, 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 always, I, I always wore eight. Um, and then somebody better came to the club, demanded a number eight. So I grudgingly took the number 16 and I've stuck with 16 since. I'm very happy with 16. But not four. Every number as well. JW sixteen. Yeah, I like sixteen. I don't know what. It's interesting though that you. It's interesting that you went. So you went from eight to sixteen because you know it was double, but then four, which is the first. Yeah, you're like allergic to. I've only won four twice, scored nine goal both times. Never do it again. And also, Paul Bracewell wore four, and he kind of betrayed Sunderland. So like, yeah, Paul Bracewell. Who's he was a Bracewell? Who's Sunderland's number sixteen? I actually um, don't know. I mean, it's yeah, Roy Keane's number, obviously. Roy Keane, who shares a birthday with my dad. Um, different years, but, you know. Um, There's no number same, 16. Same Jonathan, they're keeping it for you. <laughs> never tired I'm so it. touched by that. <laughs> <laughs> they've, they've, they've retired it for Dr. Jonathan Wilson. He's Amazing. A, lovely stuff. Oh, well done, Jonathan. Well, not, not well done to you, George. Not not acceptable to not enjoy squad yeah, numbers. That's right. right. Football clothes. I mean, if you don't enjoy squad numbers, you're probably not going to enjoy something in this combined 11, I, I would say. Let's just quickly <laughs> rattle through it. We've got, I think, I presume Trent can't be in it because he's injured. So we've got Vicario in goal, Pedro Porro at right back, Romero, who we cursed last week, Van Dijk and Robertson. Basuma at the base of the midfield with Shobbers Light and Madison in front. That's a very nice midfield. And then the front three is Salah, Son, and of course, Solomon, exactly who I was expecting to see on the left wing for this this combined eleven. It was a nice eleven until we got to the to the left flank. I think it's a bit over attacking in midfield. I'd like something a bit more conservative in midfield. I'm not sure where you get that player from. In all honesty, across both teams, probably Benton Kerr if he was fit. But they're not no, really but I, th- I think you'd, you'd have I'd I'd keep uh, Sarvin alongside Basuma probably. And then you've okay. got to pick between Subasai and Madison. Probably put you could put Subasai into the front three or Madison into the front three, arguably as well instead of instead of Solomon. But you know right, the who scored the who scored the who scored guys <laughs> are trying to keep it to where players have played. Madison is the top rated player in the Premier League at the moment, according to who scores. So everything we've just raved about him is, is automatically true because he is the top player, according to the algorithm. Let's get a score prediction from you both. Then George, I'll come to you first. I mean, they've got to be goals, haven't they? Um... Let's go for another two-all draw. Yeah, served served me well, the 2-2 two, two last week. I'll go for 1-1, Jonathan. Yeah, I, I had 1-1 one, one down and I crossed it out and I've gone 2-1 Liverpool. Okay, so we've all got something different and that's what's needed at the moment, differentials, because we'll pop the league table up here and look at how we did last week and I am absolutely running away like a train. I've been sabotaging. Well, hang on, what, what's... He, 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 uh, whoever was doing it for me in between, what are they doing? What are they doing wrong? If you're winning, because I, I think I got 13 <laughs> points the previous. I am, uh, what I am doing is, I think even if you were doing it every week, for some, my score is sensational for this stage of the season. I, I get been getting pretty much two or three bang on every week. 
Also, the absolute well, shade from Jonathan say, whoever it is you got on for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't even read I can't remember who is it, who is it we've got on instead of him. Sam. Oh, that's it. Sam. Oh, yeah. Oh, he knows nice oh, kind of that, yeah. He's not very good at pretty. He's not very good at predictions, though, Jonathan. It's much better than whoever you got doing mine. That was an like absolute sabotage. Oh, your your mate. I know. He started predicting absolute I, wild scores. I did. <laughs> I did question him. I did feel like he was on on the sabotage for your uh, for, for your predictions. There was some there was some questionable things that he that he came up with. Uh, Got some excellent opinions on football, but his predictions were absolutely awful. So yeah, yeah. I remain top of the table where I'm probably going to. I think we should average this out for the ones we've actually done. What do you yeah, mean? I agree. I don't. I, 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 I think it should be points per game for the ones we actually predict. I still don't understand. So you you, you look at the ones <laughs> I've predicted, me, just me, mm. and and you work out what the points total is and how many games, and you divide that points total by that number of games, and that gives you a coefficient. You work out how many points you've got and how many games you've predicted, and you divide that number of points by the number of games that gives you a coefficient. And whoever has the highest coefficient over the season. Remember in the COVID season when they stopped the leagues early and they, yeah. and Wickham got promoted by coefficient? Yes. Uh, actually, I seem to have talked out my own point there because <laughs> Wickham getting promoted was a terrible thing. Um, but yeah, point, points per game. That's, that's the few. I mean, given we couldn't even get Ben to keep a normal league table last season, like, I assume people were interested in about three months. Let's look at Villa v Brighton then. And I was feeling a lot better about this game until Villa entered the Carabao Cup and decided to get knocked out by Everton at home. And Villa have had a quite a low-key good start to the season, George, I would say, winning four of six, obviously losing at Liverpool and Newcastle, which is, there's no shame in that. So a, a good start. With the, when you throw the cup games in as well, Villa <laughs> seems to just be win one, lose one, win one, lose one. They can't seem to get any consistency across all competitions. So that means they'll beat Brighton at the weekend. Yeah, and, and but this is also why I think anyone who's followed Unai Emery's career probably assumed, like me, that the cup competitions would be central to this season and the league four may dip, but you've been, well, I say you, Villa, have been magnificent yeah, in the I've league. Played a big, I've played a big part. So, so far, apart from that 5-1 opening day defeat against Newcastle, <clears throat> but we've seen uh, a defeat in the, you know, the first game in the uh, in the Europa League, uh, sorry, in the Conference League at, uh, in Warsaw, a knocked out of the Carabao Cup, um, home to Everton on, on Wednesday night, which again, you know, I, didn't necessarily expect you'd think that Emery would maybe prioritise these kind of competitions given that his managerial career has been kind of based around winning those kind of trophies but um, but as you say in the league it's been much much better Um, there was the one that went over Chelsea last time where you know Villa played pretty well like there's no denying that the red card to Malagusto obviously played a massive part in that and uh, Emi Martinez made some massive saves both at at 0-0 and then from Ben Chilwell um, late on which would have would have would have equalized the game um but Ollie Watkins took his goal well him being back in the uh, in the you know in the goals has got to be a, a, a big plus for for Villa and you know Sanchez made a couple of massive saves as well both at 0-0 and the 1-0 as well for for Chelsea so it wasn't like it was one-way traffic before that um but this is going to be I think a, a really big test um for for Villa um in terms of you know you been beaten uh, 3-0 at Anfield already, been beaten by Newcastle. Yes, the win over Chelsea is big, but Chelsea's form going into that game was, was poor. So this is another opportunity to play a team who have genuine top six aspirations, who've also performed like a top six side already this season for, for, for Villa to, to kind of try and show, I guess, the rest of the, the league that they are um, capable of, of challenging again for those European spots. Yeah, let's ask number 16, Jonathan Wilson, about Villa then. Villa's shots are up from 11.2 to 14.2 from last season to this season. But as a consequence, 
they've conceded more. They have been a little bit more open at the back. I say a little bit, quite a lot more open at the back. This isn't Emery's got this high line and much of Villa's good away form last season under Emery, which propelled them to Europe and the home form as well, was built on being very resolute in, in defence, this offside trap. But it was it all felt a bit tighter than it does right now. Villa's high line has, has been exposed and you'd imagine if they play that way against Brighton, Brighton will benefit from that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what we've seen from Pau Torres is exactly what we thought. That's lovely on the ball, but doesn't like a ball in behind him, does he? He's not quick no. on the turn. And and that got really exposed at Newcastle on, on the on the opening weekend. I mean, I had a bit of sympathy with him there that he was yeah, thrust in, obviously, before he was he was meant to be because of the, the injury to Mings. But uh, yeah, whenever I saw him for VAR, that was always the thing I thought about him, that playing a high line with him is a massive risk. Uh, and I, I think that's why you've seen these wild fluctuations in Villa's form, that when they play against fast forwards and a good midfield, you can feed that fast forward, they struggle. Uh, but when they, they can dominate the ball, well, it's really advantageous to have somebody who's that good on the ball. Yeah. And I, th- I think over his career, the thing that Emery's actually been really impressive at is being able to flip between playing on that high line and and going to a low block. And even last season, you know, there was that run of games, wasn't it, when Villa lost to, I might get the order wrong here, but they lost to uh, Leicester, Arsenal and City in successive games. And yep. I think let in 10 goals in those three games. Uh, yep. I, I think it was, yeah, uh, four, four at Leicester, three to City. Uh, I'd say 11 because it's four against Arsenal yeah, as well. 11, so 11 yeah. goals in those games. And then he, I, he went much more cautious after that. Uh, I, th- I think the next 10 games, Villa letting some like five or six in total. And one of those games was the the victory at Stamford Bridge last season, uh, which was, I thought, a really good example of how to play with a low block and, and hit on the break. So it's whether he you know he can do that in, in the games where he needs to here. Now, Brighton are the kind of team definitely away from home you'd want to do that. Um, you saw how West Ham did that very successfully. Do you do that at home against them? Because I think the thing with Brighton is that they're, and the reason why Deserbi is so... Um, revered by other coaches, why even people like Guardiola are talking about learning from Deserbi, is the fact that Brighton play in a way where they use your press against you. So they they sort of they they not the the players looking to receive the ball don't move into space. They wait for the player who's going to press to move out the way, and that that I think is a really hard thing for teams who are used to pressing to to get their head around and you. That game against Newcastle I thought was fascinating in, in that regard. That Newcastle clearly realised that the way Brighton liked to play is give it to the centre back. The centre back gives it to Billy Gilmore. Billy Gilmore plays it wide, Eerie and is. then they build from there. <laughs> yeah, the, the obligatory Billy Gilmore reference. And Newcastle did shut that down pretty well, which is why Newcastle the first sort of twenty five minutes, half hour of that game were, were on top. And then Brighton started building through their fullbacks and, and worked out a way around it. And then the press that had been so successful for Newcastle in cutting down that avenue actually starts to count against them because they're pressing in the wrong areas. And that's where, very occasionally when you're at a game, you can see this. You can see the managers making the switches. You can see the tweaks happening. And that was one of those games where you could really see it. You could see that Newcastle had been outwitted by the Zerbi. Um, I think you saw it a bit, the, the game at Old Trafford as well for Brighton, where again... Uh, Manchester United playing that, that quite narrow diamond 
the space is obviously on the flanks. So again, Brighton very quickly switched to, right, we're going to build up through the fullbacks. Tarek Lamptey had a, had a great game that day. So I think it's a really difficult question. What what If you're Villa at home against Brighton, I, I, I think, pro, you know, as I say, if it was an away game, I don't think you'd have any second thoughts. Play deep against them. At home, maybe it's a bit different. And that, that's that's the huge conundrum. And I think that, that battle, the Emery versus Deservey battle, will be, will be fascinating. Yeah, and Jonathan will do no other podcasts where he's interrupted when he's making serious football points. Just getting that, that he's talked about Billy Gilmore. He won't. He won't do any other podcast where the presenter interrupts him midpoint. Do, do you do you remember? Why would you remember this before you were born? Um, the 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 Royal Mail did a series of stamps featuring classic trains, and on every one they had a tiny little mouse, and like you know, it's kind of you had to try and spot where the mouse was. I feel that Billy Gilmore is that mouse. And this podcast is those Royal Mail stamps of trains. <laughs> Great. I mean, someone could put, quote that and make a poster. Yeah, a picture oh of Jonathan God, Wilson, and then that, that quote. That is, I don't remember it. You'll be you'll be surprised. Though. I don't know what I don't know what year it was in. I don't know how old. Oh, it's probably about nineteen eighty two or something. You'll now see that the the headline for this show is going to be Billy Gilmore is a mouse. Jonathan yeah. Wilson. Yeah. Oh, some some of those headlines are. Uh, Unpleasantly provocative. <laughs> <laughs> Talked about doing our predictions and how difficult that can be. If we were having to predict what Bryson's starting 11 was game by game, I don't think anyone would ever get a full house. <laughs> he is not afraid to rotate at all, including the goalkeepers. Everyone goes on about the Arsenal goalkeepers, but Deserby's already doing that. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, and it is difficult to, you know, I was pretty surprised to see how strong they went at Stanford Bridge on Wednesday night. Um, Joao Pedro started, Ansu Fati started, Matoma started. Obviously, Matoma came off the bench to have the impact um, in the uh, win over Bournemouth last time uh, where he came on at half-time. I, I think when, you know, Roberto De Zerbi asks a lot physically from his players, like they, you know, they, they press very aggressively and naturally, um, you know, I think when, when you ask for that much in order to, to maintain levels of fitness, you have to rotate a fair bit. And also, they've, they've got so many talented players like you know we, we all go into the season knowing about you know the, the 22 or odd good Brighton players who are proven but it turns out they've normally got about seven more up their sleeve who we've never heard of they can bring in and immediately like Premier League stars like they're they've got a, a, a brilliant base to rotate from they've got especially in their front line they've got so many different kinds of options as well there's you know versatility in their in their team as well with like Pascal Gross seemingly being, being able to play any kind of midfield role that Roberto Zerbi asked of him so yeah, it, it is it is difficult to predict who will start and, and and who will come in here. But yeah, looking at the again, looking at the Carabao Cup team, it probably suggests that those players I just mentioned may not be in from the start. Yeah, one player that always starts when he's fit is Lewis Duncan. He's making more passes per game than any defender in the Premier League this season, which is a an interesting start. Though he has had an injury recently, so he may not play against Villa. Hopefully Matoma doesn't play as well because he's a, a sensational watch. I don't, I don't really want to see him line up at Villa Park at the weekend. Let's get some score. Pre- oh, sorry, George. Sorry, George. Well, I was just going to say, I would love, I mean, obviously people talk about it a lot, but the more I watch of him, the more I'd like to read his dissertation on dribbling. So, so I, I know somebody who's seen an extract of it. Really? And the bit he's bit he's seen. So so yeah, he wore a GoPro to to look at what opponents did when he was dribbling towards them. Uh, and the, 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 this extract that uh, my mate's seen, because people are used to people like running left leg, right leg, left leg, right leg, you know, the standard way. When he was <laughs> when he first controls the ball, he'll take two steps of the same leg to off balance the defender. Now I have to say, I've, I, since I heard this, I've watched him. I can't see him do that. But that apparently is is what it says in the dissertation that that he 
he takes a double step on one leg because everybody expects you to alternate. Do you think so that? Do you think the do you think the station is like a moment where he's he's written that, hoping defenders will read that, expecting him to do the double well, step? Yeah. And he doesn't, and then they're like, well, I don't double want bluff. To yeah, yeah. But, I mean, what, what what deep cover that is to to write a dissertation <laughs> in Japanese at a Japanese university. On the off chance, Premier League defenders start to read it. I mean, that that is that's taken to another level. Oh, I, mean, I mean, hearing Dr. Jonathan Wilson talk about dissertations as well. So <laughs> this is what this is what we've all we've all come here for. Let's get some score predictions. Then I'll go first this time. Go the same score as last season. Villa two, Brighton one. Jonathan, one one. Two one Brighton. Two one to Brighton again. A, a nice little mix. This is probably why there's a big separation in the league. Everyone's <laughs> predicting completely different things, and I seem to be coming off well of that. Let's look at the fixtures then and do our general predictions for the rest of the game. So we've done Villa against Brighton, Bournemouth against Arsenal, George. Bournemouth Arsenal. I'm going to say two nil to Arsenal. I'm going to go three nil to Arsenal, Jonathan. Two one to Arsenal. Everton v Luton, Jonathan. Uh, one nil to Everton. One all. Two one to Everton. Uh, Manchester United v Palace. They won in midweek against them. Didn't Weird they? game midweek. Teams, yeah. I will say two one against Manchester United. George. Two nil United. Two nil United. Newcastle against Burnley. George. Newcastle. Two Burnley nil. Snap two nil Newcastle. I might as well throw in two nil to Newcastle as well. Then this is how, this is how you stay top. No. The same. I think you should we... go first. To be honest, but every time, yeah. I, like to make I, sure I, I think I think first. whoever's ahead should go first. So then that okay. means that we can ensure they don't employ that tactic. Or maybe in. we should have to like write them down first, like on countdown, and you can show people what <laughs> yeah. you've written down. Show you working. Okay, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll inquire about that. Can you change the rules mid-season? No, we'll have to do actual preparation, Jonathan. That would be a disaster. Yeah, I'd like them to have all my... I mean, I, I put this through my own personal algorithm, but it's taking years <laughs> to the uh, West Ham v Sheffield United, I'll go first for this one then, and I will say 3-0 to West Ham, Jonathan. 2-0 to West Ham. 1-0. Wolves v Man City, Jonathan. 2-0 to City. I'll go 4-0 to City, George. Yeah, 4-1 City. Nottingham Forest against Brentford. George, you go first this time. 2-0 Forest. A bit worried about Brentford at the moment. 2-0 to Forest. Interesting. I will go 1-1. Jonathan? Uh, 1-0 to Forest. And then the Monday Night Football, London Derby, Fulham v Chelsea. Uh, 1-0 to Chelsea. 1-0 to Chelsea. The underdog coming out on top in Jonathan's mind, George. I mean, how often am I going to keep saying Chelsea are going to turn it around? I'm a slave to the data. 2-0 Chelsea. 2-1 2-1 to Fulham for me in the in, in the West London derby. We are going to look a little bit at Fulham now. Doing okay. Decent start for Fulham. Obviously lost a, a big, big player. Jimenez has come in to replace Mitrovic essentially and has not got off to a, to a flying start. And then I quite like Vinicius actually, but is he a main number nine for a Premier League team? Not, not sure. Does that departure of Mitrovic now mean that Paulinho, who's one of my favourite players, Jonathan, is probably one of the most important players to any team in the league, arguably the most important to any team? Yeah, but I think that was true before Mitrovic left. I think he's yeah, been he's very good. Yeah, the the absolute key to them, and I also think he's he's sort of perfect for Fulham. You know, he gives them exactly what they need. Whether that ball winning capacity is as valuable at a at a at a club that dominates possession more, I, I'm I'm not quite as convinced by. It. I think it it it, it may I know, it, maybe it would work, but I think it may be that that he's 
at the club was absolutely perfect for him. And, and you know, I know there was that ludicrous um, Marcus Silva saying, oh, he's always been committed to, to Fulham. Did, did, was, did you miss a bit where he was, where he was holding up a Bayern shirt in Munich signing a contract? I mean, that would suggest he wasn't that committed, but he seems to have settled back down. And I think it's an understandable thing, right? If Bayern Munich come in and you're at yeah. Fulham, you pursue that as far as you can. And there's, it's not that Fulham, uh, well, I suppose Fulham did did stop it, but he doesn't seem to to harbour any ill will to them. Um, and the fact he signed a new contract, you assume that's, that's like Caicedo, it's okay. You can go, but we're going to get proper money for you. Um, so whether he goes in January, whether it's the end of the season, uh, you will find out. But um, yeah, I, th- I think he, he's absolutely critical to how, how Fulham play. Yeah, when they, when he didn't play last season, they got taken apart a few times. I know they had that spell where Mitrovic was missing, but any time Paulinho wasn't there, the midfield just didn't essentially run properly. And they've conceded a, a lot of goals. And if you look at Fulham's top 10 tacklers since the start of last season, Paulinho's way out on top with, with 164. You know, the nearest midfielder to him is Harrison Reid with 52. Which I know they're different types of players, but Paulinho, if you actually watch Fulham play, the amount of tackles he makes and the way he gets around the pitch, he's a, he's a really good watch and he is one of the best defensive midfielders, I think, in, in the Premier League. What should Fulham's ambitions be this season, George? They they were doing really well last season, but they, they were looking on for Europe at, at one point. Still got a top-half finish, I think, but it's going to be a lot harder this time around to, to get top-half. It just tells you how well they did last season. I'd be amazed if they're challenging for the top-half, uh, personally. Um, I, I know they've started the season with an OK points tally in terms of you know eight points from six, and given how much the three promoted teams from last season out of the Championship have struggled... You know, it already feels like most of those sides are in that kind of clutch of teams in terms of Forest and Fulham, um, unless there's a massive turnaround in fortunes of the likes of Burnley. Probably aren't going to have too much to worry about behind them. But I think there's been a, a pretty big drop-off uh, in terms of, of Fulham so far this campaign. Obviously, the striker situation is, is a massive issue. Um, Mitrovic, yeah, I, I think any team who loses a striker who scored that many goals and is that pivotal is you're going to struggle to replace him. But in Mitrovic, they've got a player whose skill set is just vastly different to anybody else, really. Um, and what Marco Silva did that was so impressive was he managed just to, to basically build a team around getting the ball onto Mitro's head in the six-yard box. You know, the addition of Harry Wilson was very clever in doing that. William last season as well. But without him, they're, they're just a shadow of the team that they were. I think the signing of Raul Jimenez didn't make any sense given that you were effectively buying a player based on quality that we'd seen before a career-changing injury. And he just quite obviously hasn't been the same player since that injury. Um, you know, obviously no fault of his own, but to anticipate that Raul Jimenez was going to come in and replace Mitrovic was fairly naive. And just to bring in one striker effectively to replace him didn't really make any sense. Now they're left with two players leading the line. Um, you know, I th- I t- when you look at, I think um, Jimenez's total XG this season so far has been 0.6. His highest XG, XG chance has been 0.12, which given how many minutes he's played leading the line for a Premier League team is is woeful numbers. Uh, and, you know, in Vinicius, you've got a player who I don't think anybody um, at the moment necessarily thinks, you know, if, if he was up to the task, I think he'd have played way more minutes than we've seen already this season. So this is what they've got until January. They're going to have to, you know, find a way to, to make it work. Um, but that is the clear issue at the moment. Um, and it feels likely that they're going to be relying on the likes of, you know, Bobby Decadova-Reed uh, and other players, um, you know, for, for their goal output because they've lost a glut of goals and don't have anyone of the, of the similar skill set to be able to, to replace them. So, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd be amazed if they are challenging for just looking now, they haven't got a single player who scored 
um, more than a single goal. It's Pereira, Reed, uh, Vinicius, Paulinho, and and Reem have scored their their five goals this season. And the XG numbers don't make particularly pretty reading either as a team where they they've conceded um, over ten next year against and conceded just seven goals, so they're kind of over overperforming in that extent. And they've conceded the third fewest expected goals from open play with three point three seven, having scored three goals. So worrying signs. But as I say, given how poor the rest of the league are. Um, you know, that there's not too much jeopardy, I don't think, at this stage. Yeah, problems at the top end, Jonathan, but as George just alluded to, the goalkeeper is, is very good and he's going to be important if they are to avoid being in a relegation scrap. Yeah, I think they will be in a relegation scrap, though. And you, I also wonder at what point... I mean, Marcus Silva, I think, has been twice approached by Saudi clubs. At what point does he does he decide, you know what, this is going nowhere, I might, might jump ship here. And then I think they are in a... A lot of bother. I think the way they fell off last season towards the end, I think that's always a worrying sign. It's, but it, it's the, the three promoted clubs have started so poorly um, that you think maybe there's a bit of a free pass this season. Um, I think Forest are, are much improved from last season as well. Yeah, they're good. I know it's only seven points from six games, but I think they've played four away games already, all against what are Chelsea these days. But um, <laughs> that's yeah, no, notionally big six teams. They've played United away, they've played City away, and they've played Arsenal, Arsenal away and, and, and Chelsea. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be surprised if, if Forrest are in serious danger. But I think Fulham are, are one of those who, say Burnley do put a run together, which I think is possible, Fulham, I'd say, are, are in bother. Yeah, the three promoted sides all stayed up relatively comfortably. In the end, last season, Georgia, Fulham, the most vulnerable of, of those three, would you say? Because Bournemouth are a funny one at the moment. I can't really work them out. But are Fulham the most vulnerable of the three, would you say? I, mean, I think Bournemouth have to be in that conversation as well. Uh, I mean, given they're on three points from six games and aren't really clear of the, of the of those three that we mentioned before, I think Bournemouth have to, at this stage, be the team you think, if any team in the whole Premier League is going to get sucked into this. I mean, it, it's, it's incredibly early days. It's the end of September, but it's just it's just very rare to have three teams on one point at this stage and, and you're not really seeing where those points are going to come from. Um, so, yeah, as I say, I, th- I think Fulham look like even though there'll be a drop-off, they should be fine with Bournemouth. You know, Areola has to start getting um, more out of his players, although it does feel like they've had a particularly hard start to the season, having already faced um, some decent sides, including Chelsea. Although, what are Chelsea at the moment? Um, so Chelsea got enough to stay up, George? Yes, I mean, I'm, it's, it's been interesting to see the discourse in the last week or so where everything, you know, everyone has basically twigged about Chelsea being one of the biggest data outliers we've basically ever seen in the Premier League at this stage where the underlying numbers are phenomenally good and the performances and the results are, are well, the results are, are, are very poor. Like part of that will, will be down to game state because they are basically spending no time in games ahead, which means that if you're always chasing a game, you're always level, it's obviously going to bolster your numbers because naturally you're going to have more, um, you're going to carry more attacking threat when you're when you're behind. For Nicholas Jackson, it feels like a case where like when rather than if, in my view, like he's getting into good opportunities consistently. You know, he hasn't been prolific in the past, but he's clearly a, lot, a much better finisher than we're seeing. He scored in the win against Brighton in midweek. I thought um, he did a little wrong in that one-on-one with... with um, uh, Martinez against Villa it was just a, a brilliant save from Martinez with, with his outstretched hand. Um, yeah, with Chelsea, I think it's it's a matter of time until they until they click. Um, but I've been saying that for, for just over a year now. The only thing I'd say, and I, I fundamentally yeah, that's clearly true, but the only thing I do wonder is whether the inexperience of this Chelsea side just 
slightly undermines the data that the reason they're missing so many chances is they're so young and so lacking in confidence. And when you don't have the experience there, how easy is it to get the confidence back? So so that 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 I think is where maybe we wouldn't wouldn't necessarily expect a major uh, regression to the mean there, that maybe the mean is slightly lower than the data suggests, just because of the youth and experience of a side and how how badly it's been it's been put together. But I mean, in terms of Chelsea getting relegated, we, we, we were actually talking about this in, in the press room before the Chelsea... Here's our title. Here he is. Here we go. <laughs> uh, before the Chelsea-Liverpool game, uh, opening weekend of the season, there was a few of us in the press room saying, like, realistically, when could Chelsea be relegated? And I think it's it's just, I mean, that's just going to happen at all. But I think it's just about conceivable that next season, possibly the season after, obviously what would have to happen, they don't get into Europe, mass panic about the FFP situation. They've run out of academy players to sell. They've got to sell Reese James and Levi Colbert because they're the only two academy players left. And suddenly they have to have this fire sale where they get rid of Caicedo or Fernandes. And you know, it's not merely a young squad, but it's a young squad where half of the good players have to be sold just to keep afloat. And and then I think in, in it is just about possible next season or the year after, they actually could be in in proper danger. But is there not a, a not a concern's the wrong word, but like given the, the climate of world football right now, it feels like there's a massive get out opportunity for poorly run elite clubs where you've got basically Saudi Arabia willing to pay ridiculous money for Deadwood. Which, which didn't exist in the past. So it feels like clubs like Chelsea are now able just to sit down in June and be like, right, yeah, that was bad. Okay, let's just move on. These and it obviously players. obviously helps when the Saudi PIF who own four of those clubs Correct. own up to, but we're told not more, 5% of, of clearly. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that, that, that is true. Card. I mean, what a podcast team in focus for them. Ended talking about Chelsea, absolutely, absolutely monumental. <laughs> what a show! But thank you very much for you. But yeah, Fulham's, uh, yeah, yeah, that is, that is very, very, full, very Fulhamish. <laughs> I would. Jimenez is is it's just really sad what's happened. I mean, he hasn't scored a league goal since March twenty twenty two, and given how good he was before the injury, it's yeah, I, I, I yeah, it's really sad that that's happened because he was such a good player to watch. Hmm. I mean, it would be very Chelsea for him to score then. At the moment. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Look, look, look out for that one on on the Monday night football. Thanks very much to you both for joining me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you both as always. Do subscribe to the podcast with your post notifications on if you're enjoying it, and subscribe wherever you are getting your podcasts. Give it a like as well, and give us a nice review if you're on a platform that enables you to leave nice reviews. We'll be back next week to look back over our predictions and talk about the upcoming Premier League game week. And looking forward to it already. And Jonathan, I don't think you'll be with us next week, but you'll be maybe prepping Sam with you in spirit prep prep Sam with you please you'll be sure to tune in as well but yeah that does us tell all your friends and family about the pod and have a good weekend